Good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and respond to God's goodness, uh, to his grace to us in Christ. And so as we gather, I just want to say welcome, especially to those who are visiting. We're glad that you can join us today. And welcome to those who are joining us online. We're thankful that God, by his spirit, can unite us together as his people. As we begin, just a couple of announcements to share. If you look on the inside cover of your order of worship, there's some information about the service and about children's classes that are happening today. And so just to uh, make sure that you're aware of that. Um, and I'll dismiss the kids here shortly for those classes. Uh, also a note that after the church service today, we have a time of fellowship with coffee. It'll be outside. If you go out the doors and turn to your left, uh, you'll see uh, things set up there at the corner. They're doing some uh, construction on the sidewalk over there, so we'll be a little bit closer to the, the corner grass area, not, not where we've normally set up. But hopefully you can stay after today for a time of fellowship. Um, also, just uh, want to encourage you to look at the back couple pages of your order. There's the list of announcements there. And, in, and one in particular that we want to highlight is that uh, we're going to continue the practice of providing Thanksgiving baskets for families from Waters School. So I invite uh, Will Atkins to come forward. He's going to share about how uh, we can be part of that. Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, as Chad mentioned, if you look in the back of the order of worship, there's an announcement about uh, the Thanksgiving baskets that we've um, had the tradition of, of giving to people in the Waters community. So uh, we, we got a little bit of a late start this year because there's some new administration at Waters, but I think there's still a couple of weeks, so that's plenty of time to fulfill what we've committed to. So we committed to 20 baskets, um, and the school is helping identify those 20 families and, and will make the connection uh, between us and them. But uh, what the ask of us is as a congregation is um, to sign up and commit to one of those baskets or as many of those baskets as you would like to. Uh, you can do it as an individual, as a family. Sometimes people do it as a small group. Um, to actually do that, uh, there's a couple ways that you can participate. Uh, one is if when you go out here to the entrance, um, you'll see the big stack of baskets, and then there's a table with some tags that, that have a shopping list uh, for the food items that, that would go in there. So you could grab a basket, grab a tag, and then sign up on the sheet that's right there uh, to show that you took one. Um, and then you would fill that basket, go to Jewel or wherever, and, and just fill it with the food items, and then either bring it back here one of the next two Sundays, or you could drop it off at the church office on Rockwell, uh, and then we'll get it to Waters one of those two ways. Um, if you're not able to shop or drop it off or, or handle the logistics of it or anything, but you still want to participate, uh, you could write on the sign-up sheet that you'll, you'll just donate. Um, the cost of the basket is about $75 uh, to cover all the food items. So you could just donate by either putting a check in the offering plate in the back or through the online giving, there's an option to give to the Thanksgiving basket fund. Um, so you could contribute that way too. And then if you do that, the deacons will cover the shopping and the packing of the basket and everything. Um, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to talk to me, talk to Rob Globke in the back, one of the other deacons. Um, be happy to help you. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Also, I guess one note, if you are participating in worship online and you want to be part of this project, you can reach out to me or one of the deacons and we'll make sure that we can connect you with a basket if you'd like to pick it up from the church office or another time. 
Well, this time the children are dismissed for the preschool class and children's worship. They can head to the back, and Melinda will be there to meet them and take them down to the classrooms down in the basement. Those classes will continue through the, the length of our worship service. Well, God has called us, and as we prepare to come and respond to his call of worship, let's take a moment of quiet before we come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 69. Will you stand with us and we'll all sing it together. God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink, <clears throat> I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with, with waiting for my God. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none.
Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, one true God, name above all names, we gather here together to proclaim your glory and testify to your grace that has brought us into your presence. We come here this morning to rest in your presence, to lay down the burdens that have beset us this week, small and private, large and conspicuous. We leave them to your perfect will. Turn our eyes to you and away from the powers of this world that still prey upon so many of our families, neighbors, and communities. Turn our hearts away from our frail bodies and fragile wills that betray us and to the body of your son into which we have been called and in which we have life. Remind us that even as people fail to see us, fail to treat us fairly or to treat us kindly, that you love and care for us. Forgive us that we have looked past people and to idols that charm our hearts. Um, to idols that charm our hearts. Um, remind us that you love and care for them even when we don't. Fill us this morning with your word that we may leave here knowing who we are and wherever the week may take us, that we may bask in the vision of your coming kingdom to display to a world that needs you, to people that long for a home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We will now continue our time of worship um, through a time of confession. We will do so first corporately and then through private confession. Loving Father, your word tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, you who are faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess that we are sinners. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in us and lead us to entrust ourselves to your forgiveness. Please take a moment um, for silent confession. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray, that you are patient with us, reaching out to us no matter how far we stray, letting nothing separate us from your perfect love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior.
Today's Old Testament lesson is from Psalm 68, 1 through 10. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exalt before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. New Testament lesson is Acts 1, 6 through 14. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to him, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. <coughs> then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Elphias and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood among <coughs> oh, sorry, okay. this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks, Hoon and Susie, for reading God's Word for us, and thankful for a chance to be here and look at God's Word together. We're going to continue in our series of looking at the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. And just as a reminder, in this section, Jesus has stepped out of the public eye, and he's gathered his friends, he's gathered his disciples to offer to them final instruction and to pray before he is arrested and killed. And in these chapters, we have a chance to think not only about Jesus, but the nature and mission of his church. Well, this morning, we're going to begin chapter 17. We'll look at that over the next few weeks before we get to Advent. And our passage opens in chapter 17 by saying, when Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. See, our 
Our passage is a, a transition where Jesus moves from teaching to praying. To praying. He prays for himself, prays for the work that Jesus, that God has given to him. And as we'll see in the couple weeks ahead, he'll pray also for his followers, and he'll pray for you and me. Pray for those who will come to faith in the future through the work of his word and spirit. So let's look at this passage. This is chapter 17, 1 through 8 of God's, John's gospel. You can follow in your order of worship or your Bible, or just listen as I read. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Well, as a way to uh, start our time, as I mentioned, I saw in the, uh, the news this week that this week marked 50 years of the existence of email. <laughs> Some of you, uh, can you remember a time before the email existed, before you had to check an inbox? 50 years ago, I guess the first message was sent at MIT, just a test, a series of letters. But the article went on to say that currently, there are 3.8 billion email users, and they collectively send over 300 billion emails a day. Maybe 200 billion of those are advertisements, I don't, I don't know, but... <laughs> When I saw that, I was, you know, reminded, you know, struck by the numbers and struck by how something that is relatively new can become just part of our everyday consciousness. But also it's a chance to remember something about who we are. That all of us, that we have a longing and a need for communication. Yet even with all these billions of messages, we also recognize the struggle that we have the ongoing struggle we have to connect, to be heard or known. So it's a good place to start as we look at this prayer of Jesus to remember that connection is at the foundation of our world. Connection's at the foundation of our being. That all of us, that we were made by God to live in connection with God, connection with creation, connection with others, our, our neighbors, and even connection within ourselves. And in many ways, the thinking of this Genesis, the, the image of God creating all things, the image there is of a table, of God inviting us to have fellowship with him, to enjoy his good creation. And not only to have fellowship with him, but to see and know one another, and even to know ourselves. Yet due to human sin, Right? Yet due to human sin, our 
our doubting God's goodness, our seeking to be our own gods, or seeking our own food to meet our hunger, these connections have been ruptured. And now we know, each of us know, the deep and profound separation that exists in each of these spheres, a longing for them to be connected, but the pain of separation. And it's good to start thinking in this way because it's in this world of separation. It's on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus invited his disciples to come around with him a table. And not just to listen and enjoy a meal together, but for them to join in him as he prays to his Father in heaven. To invite them to come and be part of this intimate prayer, this union with the Father that's expressed that Jesus is not now giving a speech. He's not offering a theological treatise, but rather speaking a prayer of intimacy and conviction. It's a living embodiment of the union and connection he shares with the Father. And the profound thing for us to grasp throughout this passage is he's inviting you and me to participate and to be part of that union with God. To find again the connection that we were made to know and experience. So I want to look at two parts of what Jesus prays for us to reflect on this union, this connection. The first thing is that we see that Jesus prays for glory. Jesus prays for glory. He says, you might have noticed, I've accomplished the work you gave me to do, Father. Knowing that his earthly ministry is over, he prays, the Father, Father the hour has come. It's time. My suffering, my death are upon me. And he, so he makes a request. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, glory or glorified here carries this idea of something being seen. It's worth or it's value being recognized. The, the idea is there's a, a sense of a, a heaviness or a worth, a significance, a, a brilliance that's now on display for people to behold. One way to kind of get our mind around this maybe is to think about experiences we've had in the, the created world. Maybe things that we find a sense of awe or wonder. Here in Chicago, maybe it's going to see Lake Michigan and seeing the waters and seeing the significance of that place. In that moment, there's a sense of glory because we are reminded of the brilliance and the beauty of God who's created this world. The lake and its beauty pointing and telling us about the glory of God. But Jesus is praying something similar here. Father, the hour has come. Let this be a time when the world beholds the brilliance and the splendor and the, the weight of who we are, of what is happening now in this hour. And so as Jesus, you see, he prays. He prays asking for help. That's part of what he's asking. May I have the, the strength to walk in faithfulness through the shadow of betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. Give me the strength and wisdom to walk in this path. And part of this glory, Jesus is also praying for an effectiveness for the display to be seen by the watching world. You see, what he's, he's praying is, in my cross, in this hour, may all know the wonder of the Father and Son acting with steadfast love 
to rescue sinners. May my cross give witness while the world is full of hired hands and false protectors. I am the good shepherd. I did not leave my people in their misery and wandering. I will not lose any of them. I will lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus is asking in this glorification prayer for God's power. May it be on display that my death will not be the end, but that you bring forth vindication, revealing that I am greater than sin and greater than death, that my people and all the world will be in awe. Jesus is asking for glory, for people to see the brilliance of what's happening, the weight. And it might be strange, even if we're familiar with what's going ahead of him, Strange, again, to think about the shining forth of brilliance, of weight and significance, through the terrible and intentionally humiliating death of the cross. But that is what Jesus is saying. In the cross, Father, let your very glory be on display. As we heard in the psalm, the, the God is known as the one who is a father to the fatherless, who gives a home to those who don't have a home, who gives prosperity to the prisoner. So let the cross display that this God is one who brings back separated sinners to himself, to his table, who shares in the fellowship of divine love with those who are separated. And to the isolated, he brings into the connection of his grace and mercy. This is who our God is. And so Jesus prays that that glory would be on display and the cross. Not only does he pray for glory, though, that Jesus, the second thing for us to see is that he prays for life. He prays for the life of his people. And there's a way to kind of think about this second part. I, there's a couple questions that we can ask. The first one being, do, did you notice how Jesus speaks about the outcome of the glory? The outcome. He, he, he the Son, will give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. He will give eternal life. It's helpful for us to pause, and if, if you're like me, sometimes I can think of eternal life just as something that will be there in the future. But here Jesus speaks about it not as just something that you might get when you die. He speaks about it as a present gift. And he defines it. This is eternal life. This is what he prays that they know you, the only true God, and in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Here is something worth holding, remembering. This is life, that we will know the one true God, the one who sent Christ. There's an author named Shelley Ramba, who is a theologian, who writes a good deal about uh, trauma and healing, and one of the things that she writes is that when we think of life, especially in the church, we can render it much like the butterfly behind the glass casing. The butterfly behind the glass casing. You can picture what she's referring to, right? The, maybe at the Field Museum or somewhere else that you've seen, butterflies laid out below glass, their, their beautiful wings on display. The butterfly is made to look alive when in fact it has been dead for an immeasurable period of time. But it looks right. 
It looks even perfect, no marks. And what she's suggesting here is that it can be tempting for us, maybe especially in the church, it can be tempting to define life in this way that you look right. There are no marks or imperfections, that you look the way you're supposed to look on display. I mention that because it's important for us to see that Jesus speaks of life very differently than that. He defines it differently. Eternal life is based in, it's rooted in the connection, the knowing of God in a personal way. Sinners knowing the true God, the one who sent Christ into the midst of their separation. See, life is not looking right. Life is living in union with the God who made you. Living in union with the God who saw your sin and sees your brokenness and struggles now and sent Christ into the midst of them. Knowing the true God and his love for you, that this true God has interceded and sent Christ because of his great love. Inviting us into that union and experiencing what, as his people together. The second question for us to think about under this prayer of life is first did we, to ask, did we notice how Jesus speaks of us, of his people who we praise will know life? How does he speak of us? It's the second part of our passage. He says, Father, I manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. I gave them the words you gave me, and they have received them. They come to believe that you sent me. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. This chapter is sometimes called the high priestly prayer. This idea that Jesus stands before God in our behalf, representing us before God, and in turn representing God to us. That we are united with him. And in his grace, he brings these, our isolated lives, our isolatedness, into reconciled relationship with God and one another. This role of the priest, the New Testament book of Hebrews, talks a great deal about it. And there's this passage in chapter 7 in Hebrews that says, earlier there were lots of priests. <laughs> I like this. Earlier there were lots of priests, but they died and they had to be replaced. The law appointed high priests who were sinners. And in their weakness, they were never able to get the job done quite right. But now, but now God has appointed his son, who is without sin, and who is eternally perfect. And from now into eternity, this priest, his son, is powerful to save everyone who comes to him. For he is always present, interceding for his people. This prayer in John 17 is Jesus standing before us, holding on to us as our representative before God. Eugene Peterson is a pastor and someone who wrote numerous things about the Christian life. It's very helpful and influential for me. And, and he has an essay on ambition called Lilies That Fester. He's writing about what he calls healthy ambition, desire to do good, but, but having it mitigated by humility. And he writes that as a pastor, he would remind himself of a passage from Mark 16 
on his way to visits or meetings or appointments. And that passage, its message is that of the angel over the empty tomb on Easter morning. And the angel says, Jesus has risen. He is not here. He's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Why does Peterson reference this passage before going to a visit or an appointment? Well, he says that when I arrive and enter the room, it helps me remember that my focus is not primarily on what I'm going to do or say that will be pastoral, but rather it helps me remember and be observant for what the risen Christ is already doing. How the original Christ is already making a gospel story out of this life and this situation. To hear what he's saying. In this situation, in this meeting, in this person's life, Jesus, the risen one, is already there. Already at work. Before one arrives, before there's even a word or thought spoken from someone else, The risen Christ is already present ministering to this one. This is important for a pastor of encouragement and humility, but it's important, I suggest, for all of us if we think in this way. It goes before a a healthy ministry, but it also gets to the question, is Jesus still ministering today? Is Jesus still ministering today in our lives in our children's lives, in our spouse or our family, in our neighbors? Is Jesus still ministering today? And this passage and this prayer resoundingly say, yes, yes. Jesus continually intercedes for us. Father, you gave me this people, yours they were, and you gave them to me. In this union, this interceding does not end with Jesus' death. It does not end with his resurrection or even his ascension. He is our high priest, and by his spirit, he's caring for us, interceding before God, standing with us. His blood speaks for us that we are forgiven and righteous before God, and he speaks to us, affirming that we belong to him, affirming that his sacrifice was for us, affirming that he saw everything about us and knows us, but has acted in love for us, and that nothing can separate us from him. This is the good news of the prayer of Christ that he affirms about who he is, the one who is glorified and the one who gives life to his people. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would encourage us and guide us this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing together. I know that my Redeemer lives. Glory, hallelujah.
Almighty God, you have not given us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of perseverance and of love. We praise you for your never-ending faithfulness as we join with the people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God prepared for his people. During this time, instead of coming forward, we're going to participate in communion through the prepackaged elements. Uh, they were at the welcome table. If anybody, does anyone need uh, one? And uh, Munch will bring one to you. Anybody else? Well, if you are participating in communion this morning, I invite you to go ahead and prepare those. You can open those. If you're not participating, can you we're glad that you're here? And this table is a witness, a sign to who God is, to his glory. This table is significant because it tells us, again, who our God is, but also points to the work that he's doing, not just that he saves individual sinners, but that he's restoring this connection that we are made for, to sit at a table, welcomed and received by Christ, united with him, but also connected with our brothers and sisters in Christ as well, that we may go forth in loving God's world and our neighbors. So if you know of your sin before God, if you know of your need, your hunger and thirst that you cannot meet on your own, and if you have put your faith in Christ, then this table is set for you. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, then I invite you to, to reflect on this table and the invitation to think about who God is and what it would mean to experience the connection again that we long for. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table, and we pray, Lord, how it is a picture and a sign of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you meet us here by your spirit. As we see and reflect, as we partake in this bread and cup, spirit minister to us, that we may find, again, rest in you, forgiveness in your grace, and, and life in your righteousness. Lift our heads that we can walk as your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Having been invited to this table of grace, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people.
Lord Jesus, you are our salvation and our hope. You save the humble but bring low the proud. And your loving kindness is our refuge. Help us to trust you in all our circumstances as we proclaim the mystery of faith. response to God's graciousness to us and his word and table. I invite you to see a note here that we can respond in generosity. I invite you to give to the work of the church. There are offering plates in the back of the sanctuary or you can give online. Uh, you'll see information there how to do that. Let's now join together in the doxology celebrating God's goodness to us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him receiving God's blessing. Just a reminder that if you're interested in participating in the Thanksgiving basket project for Water School, the, the sign-up place is right outside of the welcome table. Stop by and you can talk to Will if you have questions. Now receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.